Well, good morning. This past week, I celebrated my birthday. Well, I say celebrated, but I've got to the sort of age where one no longer celebrates. I've reached a sort of number where instead one simply reminisces about how things were better and simpler when one was younger. For the benefit of the LEDs, let me share how much simpler our choices were in the 1970s when I was growing up. There were, for example, only three television channels. I say three, but as my mother never really approved of ITV, in my house there was only two. (laughs) And you could only watch one channel at the time because you only had one television channel and they were only on around ten hours of the day. There was no VCR to record, no catch-up TV. So you could only watch one programme of an evening. In our house we could watch one and listen to one because our next-door neighbour was deaf. And her television appeared to be stuck on ITV and appeared to be stuck with the volume turned to 11. So as a child, not allowed to watch or listen to ITV, the entire background noise to my life was canned laughter coming through the wall and Millie's incessant cackling at, I don't know, the price is right or something coming through. It all seemed very glamorous and mysterious. In 1982, when I was 9 or 10, Channel 4 was launched and we had a new option. In the 30 years since, the UK now has 519 licensed television channels. And in that time, I've also watched ITV. I did last night after preparing the sermon. I came downstairs to watch something called Amazing Greys. My mother was right, after all. Our choices were much simpler in the 1970s, the choices we've made already today. I hope you chose to wear deodorant this morning. Um, I wasn't really prepared for all that arm raising. I hope you chose toothpaste this morning. When I grew up, toothpaste came in basically one variety. Did everyone use Colgate? It came in a basic red box in a basic red tube and it was called Colgate. Uh, When I was two years old, In 1973, they launched a flamboyant and extravagant new toothpaste called Aquafresh. Does anyone remember Aquafresh? Aquafresh fascinated me because it came with three coloured stripes. It was exotic. It was dynamic. It was the sort of thing that people who watched ITV would use. (laughs) I've never tried it to this day. I imagine Ray Tiju uses Aquafresh. It's this sort of flamboyance. And it was the start of a culture of change. Colgate today comes in 25 different varieties. Crest, 27. Aquafresh, 11. Sainsbury's and Haywood Seath sells 12 different brands of toothpaste, a choice of over 200 varieties. At at my great age, and with my teeth somewhat eroded after drinking too much orange juice, this morning I used Sensodyne Repair and Protect with Novamin. I have to use that because I also drank this morning Tropicana Pure Premium 1.75 litre cardboard container orange juice. I have to be specific because Tropicana Pure Premium comes in nine different varieties. I don't mean nine different flavours. They make 16 different mixes and blends of Tropicana with other tropical forms of fruit. Just Pure Premium orange juice comes in nine separate varieties of orange. All of them 100% orange juice, but nine different varieties based on the amount of pulp, the amount of added vitamins, vitamins, minerals, the acidity of the orange juice. Those nine varieties come in eight separate sizes and types of container. That means that Tropicana sells 72 different varieties of pure premium orange juice. I had my pure premium orange juice along with oatmeal. When I was a child, oatmeal came in a bag made by some people called Quakers. That was it. You poured the oats and you added milk. 
This morning I chose from among 50 different flavors and brands of oatmeal available from Ocado, which is easier than choosing from one of their 400 different cereal selections. In the 1970s, when I grew up, the local supermarket had a choice of between 2,700 and 3,000 products. Sainsbury's and Hayward Seeds today stocks between, somewhere between 40,000 and 50,000 different products. Which is remarkable until you consider that there are 41,000 Christian denominations in the world, so we have some work to do as well. But all that pales by comparison with the simple choice that you may have made this morning between tea and coffee. In the 1970s, one only drunk tea. Coffee was a drink for the Americans. There was only one kind of tea, what we now call English breakfast tea or British builder's tea. You didn't drink Lapsung Souchong or um, pomegranates and cauliflower or one of these fancy modern teas. It was simple. You simply had a cup of tea with your breakfast. But coffee is where it gets truly complicated. I only drink coffee uh, when I'm jet-lagged, and, my, and I bamboozle my American colleagues when they ask if I would like a cup of coffee by simply saying, yes, I would like a coffee, because it's not that simple. <laughs> if you visit Starbucks, there are a remarkable range of coffees available. In 2006, Starbucks took out a full-page newspaper ad to demonstrate the fact that there are 87,000 combinations, 87,000 options of the way that you can drink coffee from Starbucks. We live in a world of not just commercialization, but increasing personalization. You can have whatever you want, whenever you want it. But most of it's designed that you can pay as much as you can possibly afford. Of those 87,000 options at Starbucks, none of them are a small, cheap coffee. Here's the wisest thing I'll tell you during the whole sermon. There is an option at Starbucks for a small, cheap coffee, but it doesn't appear on the menu. It's option 87,001. It's called a short cappuccino. There is a button for it on the till, but it doesn't appear in the menu. If you want to spend 30% less at Starbucks, simply ask for a short cappuccino. Every day, we're faced with a bewildering array of choices. Today is a day set aside in the Bible for choosing. It's that day we read about in Exodus, the 10th day of the first month of the year that the Israelites are told to celebrate the start of Passover. It's the 10th day because the first nine represent the nine plagues of Egypt. The 10th day celebrates the start of the 10th plague, the plague that saw Israel set free. Today we celebrate as Palm Sunday, but it was that 10th day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, a day celebrated for three and a half thousand years as the day set aside for choosing the Passover lamb, a day set aside for 2,000 years for celebrating Israel choosing Jesus to be king. A single choice, unchanged for generations, a life-changing choice, a life-saving choice with consequences that echo into eternity. So this morning, the questions are these. Which lamb will you choose? Which king will you choose? In our reading from Matthew, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on this, the busiest shopping day of the year. In a sense, it's taken around 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, just before the fall of Jerusalem. The Roman governor decided to take a census to see how many lambs were slaughtered at Passover. 
the number was assumed to be around 250,000. Those lambs would have all been entering Jerusalem on this same day, the 10th day of the year. So how do you choose between 250,000 identical lambs? Which lamb will you choose? This is not mere shopping. This is an important personal and religious choice. And if you look at Exodus 12, you'll see that there's very strict rules that we have to adhere to if we're going to choose our lamb correctly. The lambs sold for Passover had to be young males, we read. And all of the lambs came from a very specific place. Because the lambs had to be pure, they could not be lame, they had to be brought up according to strict religious rules. So they all came from a small town just south of Jerusalem. When I went away for the last two weeks, the banner uh, for Christmas was still hanging. One of my daughters mentioned it. I brought it back out because you may recognize the town where all of the sacrificial lambs came from. The town was known as Bethlehem. The Bethlehem shepherds were special because they were the shepherds that oversaw the birth and the first year of life of every lamb sacrificed in the temple. The same shepherds that met Jesus at his birth were the shepherds that had raised those 250,000 lambs for the last year and every year. The lambs used in the morning and evening sacrifice on every day in the temple and especially the lambs that were chosen that day, Lamb Selection Day. Those very same shepherds play a part in our story today, for they heralded the birth of the lamb we choose today. Jesus came that morning from Bethany and then via Bethpage. He'd stayed the night before in the house of Lazarus. Bethany and Bethpage are in the direction of Bethlehem, just not quite as far out. So Jesus that morning was treading the same path and walking the same road as the lambs coming from the fields and heading up towards the sheep's gate, that one-way entrance into Jerusalem that each of the sheep would take and none would return. As John the Baptist declared at the start of his ministry, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today we choose that lamb. How do we know the lamb to choose? Exodus says that the lamb has to be without blemish. So as well as coming from just the Bethlehem flock and raised with great skill and care by those same shepherds, each family had to choose the lamb with care. It could not be lame, it could not be sick, it could have no speck or flaw. Choosing the lamb in the temple and buying it from the Sadducees, they had a nice little learner, by the way. The Bethlehem flock were all owned by the Sadducees. That's why the following day in the temple, Jesus was upset with them again. They were not just money changers. They were money makers from this system of sacrifice. But just like every other lamb chosen that day, Jesus was inspected and tested for the next four days. Inspected in the temple by the priests and the Pharisees. Inspected by the people with their questioning as he spoke and as he taught them. Inspected by family and community. You didn't just buy your sheep or your lamb from the, from the priests in the temple. They would inspect it for you each day for four days. You also had to bring it home. This became your lamb. It became part of your family. The whole family lived with it. The whole family looked at it and saw that it was good. And so for these four days, Jesus too was tested. Jesus too visited the, the temple. Jesus too spoke to the people and taught to the people. And after four days, 
We read that Pontius Pilate, having finished examining Jesus, declared, I find no fault in him. The apostle Peter, speaking of Jesus, says, he was a lamb without blemish or defect. The word they used for the lambs is not really just no blemish or defect. It is perfect. We choose today to celebrate that lamb, declared perfect. The lamb who, after four days, just like the other lambs, the lambs that climbed the hill that tenth day with Jesus, that first Palm Sunday, who entered via the sheep's gate, were all sacrificed at, we read in Exodus 12, twilight on the 14th day of the month. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. The word twilight means between the evenings, between the time at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And so on that 14th day, Jesus left Jerusalem by the sheep's gate on his way to be crucified. The only time in history a sacrifice went out that normally one-way entrance. The New Testament records that Jesus was nailed to the cross at the third hour. That means 9 a.m. in the morning, three hours after sun up. Also the time when the morning sacrifice was made in the temple of another Bethlehem lamb. It went dark between 12 noon and 3 p.m. And shortly after, at exactly twilight, Jesus uttered his final words and died. His body was taken down from the cross just before sundown, just at the moment every other Passover lamb chosen on that tenth day was sacrificed throughout Israel. Male lambs from Bethlehem, unblemished, slaughtered at twilight. We choose that lamb. Exodus has some final instructions regarding the handling of the lamb we choose. We didn't have time to cover it, but if you just flick forward to Exodus 12, 46, there is a specific instruction not to break the bones of the lamb for this sacrifice. And of course, we know it was customary for the Romans to break the legs of those being crucified. I mean, those of us who kind of just about... Did you struggle to keep your hands out? I was kind of glad when we got to the end of that, of that prayer, at the point when he kind of talked about Jesus' pain. I kind of was empathizing for a moment. So it was quicker and simpler to break the legs of those being crucified. It hastened their death. John 19 tells us that the Roman shoulders did not break Jesus' legs because he'd already died. Not one of his bones will be broken, John 19, verse 36. We also read in Exodus that it's not enough just to kill the lamb. We have to eat it and we have to use its blood. You see, the sacrifice was not really about the death of the lamb. It was about the body of the lamb and the blood of the lamb. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It was not about the sacrifice of the lamb as much as the body and the blood of the lamb. It was not eaten passively. It was not a religious ceremony only. It was an active ceremony. It was something that we are to partake of, that we are to remember, that we are to consume. And we're to do so not passively as a religious act, but with our cloak tucked into our belt, with sandals on our feet, ready to march, an army for the Lord. John 6 echoes that. 
Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. We read in Exodus Exodus, that this act is to be a lasting ordinance, a reminder of God's saving power. It concludes with an exhortation to keep the Passover. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so Jesus asked us to remember him, our Passover lamb. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But on that first lamb selection day, the people didn't see Jesus coming and welcome him as lamb. They saw him coming from the the house of Lazarus, the man they knew he had raised from the dead. And they claimed him as their king. They saw the man who had taught them in the wilderness, and they cried out to him to be their saviour. They saw the man who had healed the sick and the lame, and they cried out to him that they might save them from the Romans. They didn't call to him as their lamb. They called out to him and crowned him as their king. We don't recommend Palm Sunday as a day when we choose lambs, but a day when we choose a king, when we crown King Jesus. It's the only day he didn't enter Jerusalem via the sheep's gate. On Palm Sunday, he entered via Gate Beautiful. He entered riding on a donkey, Not a donkey that makes him ridiculous, but a donkey that makes him a king. A donkey actually wasn't that daft for him to ride. A donkey was a perfectly normal and fit animal for a king to ride. The only difference it made for it being a donkey was that a donkey is what a king rode in peace, a horse he rode in war. King Jesus didn't come to conquer your heart. He came to claim it, for it was already his He rode a steed fit for a king that comes in peace. He entered a gate fit for a king. It wasn't Jesus that we chose as a lamb that day. It was Jesus that we crown as our Lord. It was that day that God chose Jesus to be our lamb. A simple, unwavering, unchangeable choice made for us and while we were unworthy. Today is the day when God chose his lamb. A day when we choose to crown him as king. A day at the start of a week when we remember all of the momentous events of that week that echo in Passover for three and a half thousand years. That we celebrate for the last two thousand with the waving of palm branches and the cries of Hosanna, save us. That's the king I choose today. Of all the identical lambs, there is only one fit to save me, And you, this and every other Easter, we remember him. We hail the lamb that was king.